Welcome to From Earning to Learning, the podcast where we talk about all things education. I'm your host, Dave Franjosen. Welcome to episode four of From Earning to Learning. I'm Dave Franjosa. In our third installment on assessment, we'll be tackling feedback. What are the different types of feedback? What are the impacts of each type? And how can we overcome some of the challenges associated with providing feedback to all of our students? In the last episode, we talked about the importance of practice. However, the value of practice diminishes greatly if it's not supported by feedback. But the type of feedback we provide has just as big an impact. So what are the main types of feedback? Well, feedback falls into two categories, evaluative or descriptive. Let's start with evaluative feedback because that's what most people are familiar with. Evaluative feedback is any judgment placed on student work, indicating whether it's right or wrong, good or bad. So what pops into most people's heads when they hear evaluative feedback is letter grades and percentages. These are definitely the most recognizable forms of evaluative feedback, although there is a push to move towards alternate assessment models and remove letter grades. When done well, it can be transformative in the classroom, but if you're not careful, it can become the same traditional approach with different evaluative indicators. We often overlook some less common forms of evaluative feedback, such as checks and X's. They focus on right and wrong. Sometimes we miss the fact that statements like great job or good work are also evaluative. These are definitely an evaluation of the work. If a student gets a great job on an assignment, it means they did well. You're telling them they hit all of your criteria. And the next time they don't get that great job, they interpret that as their work isn't good. So what's the impact of evaluative feedback? Well, that's a loaded question. For anyone interested in the impacts of feedback, there's a lot out there. I would start with Ruth Butler's work and expand from there. To summarize, if you're talking about high achieving students, there's really no negative impact on their motivation towards class. The positive evaluative feedback has greatly outweighed the negative. And while it may be disappointing for them to not do so well on a specific assignment, that's the exception, not the rule for them. One of the drawbacks though, is students will start to identify with the evaluation. You'll hear things like, well, I'm an A student, And that thinking can lead to other challenges. But when we shift our focus to our striving learners, these are students that typically have challenges meeting with success on a regular basis. The results of evaluative feedback are much different. This population has consistently been met with grades and feedback that tell them their work isn't good enough. With this, their motivation is greatly diminished. Think about how demoralizing it is to try your best 
and be met with low scores and thinking that these are almost impossible to recover from. This leads to test avoidance, a drop in work submission, a lack in participation, all things that we've seen before in our careers. So what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is descriptive feedback. With descriptive feedback, it's not about how well the student has done. It's about the work and how the work can be improved. We can now shift away from that deficit thinking and provide one or two things that can be incorporated to make the work better the next time the student attempts it. For example, if we were having a student respond to a prompt that was asking for an explanation and that student provided a basic or incomplete explanation, we could respond to them by saying, great, the question's answered. What would make this response even better is if we were to provide some evidence that supported that claim. It's no longer a judgment on the student, but rather a roadmap to improvement. The impact this has on striving learners is incredible. They are no longer beaten down by that constant negative input, which leads to an increase in their motivation. The best part about this approach is this positive response by our striving learners doesn't come at the expense of high-achieving students. In the studies done, they experience no negative impacts from this shift. The biggest knock on descriptive feedback is the time required to provide this to all students. Some approaches that have made this manageable, well, first, narrowing the focus, that's helped tremendously. When we're introducing students to labs, rather than focusing on improving the entire lab, we start by focusing on the conclusion, providing feedback only on that piece. Once students have that down, in future submissions, we focus on experimental design or another aspect of the lab, such as data analysis. Another approach is teaching students how to peer review and self-assess based on well-designed rubrics. Each one of our rubrics has very specific language that communicates the expectations without being prescriptive. For example, the developing level of our Creating Explanations rubric states, I use relevant terminology and or state relevant big ideas in my explanation. We show students how to use these rubrics to evaluate their classmates as well as their own work. It becomes easy for students to center their conversation on what's missing from the work and how to improve it. The last strategy I'm going to discuss is whole class feedback. When a new concept or skill is introduced, students are going to make common mistakes. Rather than writing the same feedback 20 times, use class time to review an independent practice opportunity. You can go through a worked example and highlight where the common mistakes were and instruct students to make notes on their work about how to avoid or improve those for future work. Or you can show anonymous examples of student work that show common mistakes and possibly another as an exemplar and show the students what the expectation is. Look, I know these shifts aren't easy, but they're worth it. 
And if we're having the argument centered around our high-achieving students, we're missing the mark. We're charged with educating all of our students. So we have to ask ourselves what we value. Do we stick with the status quo and sort and label students? Or do we put the work in to shift towards a model that can provide more students with an opportunity to meet with success? Thanks for listening. I look forward to hearing your feedback. For more resources, visit www.reimagineschools.com or reach out to me on Twitter at David Franjosa.